Yeah. And I got to meet people. And, you know, my dad was like, now, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm selling T-shirts. And, and what company do you work for? And I don't even know. President Zach, I got to be honest with you. I don't know if these folks had a, a legal Olympic license to be selling this stuff, but but you were in the mix. I was in the mix, and I got paid, and that's. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Agnes Scott College's new podcast, Journeys to Leadership, where we will explore the paths of inspiring women leaders from around the globe. I'm Leo Zach, president of Agnes Scott, and the host of this podcast. I hope that through these stories. You, our leaders of today and tomorrow, will not only be encouraged by our guests, but will also be inspired to take the next step in your own journey. If you listen to Atlanta's NPR station, 90.1 FM, WABE, then you are probably very familiar with today's guest. For more than 20 years, she has been a driving force in the news and media world. Not only that, she is also a multi-award and Emmy-winning journalist, host, and executive producer of Closer Look, a compelling show that features a mix of local, national, and international stories and interviews. It airs weekdays at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. She received a degree in radio, TV, film, and sports media at Indiana State University and became one of the first women in the country to host a daily sports talk show. Based in Atlanta, she covers stories not only about the biggest newsmakers, but also from people who don't often get a voice. She leads her team in presenting discussions centered on affordable housing, domestic violence, HIV AIDS, immigration, and criminal justice reform. She's covered topics relating to education, minority health issues, gender issues, and sports. She's leading the way in the media industry, one news story at a time. Please join me in welcoming the incredible Rose Scott. <laughs> Hello, Rose. Hey, President Zach. How are you? Um, great. Um, welcome to Journeys to Leadership. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, it's different being on this side of the microphone. <laughs> I love having you on that side of the microphone for a change. On Journeys to Leadership, we want to know the journey of how you got to where you are today. The ups, the downs, surprises, all of it. Well, as much of it as we can fit into today's segment. So, Rose, let's jump right in. Yeah. We think of you as being from Atlanta, mm -hmm. but where are you from? Where did you grow up? I am from, proudly, from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, a West girl. <laughs> grew up in St. Louis, a uh, beloved fan for the card Cardinals and... Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, I always tell people, yes, Atlanta is my home, but St. Louis is my hometown. And although I don't get to go back there as often as I would like, it will always be my hometown because so much of who I am is the threads that run through me are, are just from my environment of growing up in St. Louis and the people that had a hand and, and you know, get me on the right track. So I'll always love it. So tell us a little more about those threads. You talk about the threads that are running through you. What are those threads? What was it like growing up and how did it inform who you are? A big part of it is, uh, it's a little non-traditional, I guess. I grew up in a foster home. So when I was born, I had at the time, there were uh, eight other brothers and sisters and my biological mother um, was having a pretty hard time. So she couldn't 
you know, she couldn't take care of me. And so at the age of about a year and a half, uh, maybe two, uh, she was she was Catholic, so she went to Catholic charities. And Catholic charities, foster systems, a little bit different in the traditional state foster system because they placed kids with Catholic foster homes. So I was placed with a family that had been known for just taking kids. And uh, I was two years old. I remember getting out of the car with the social worker. I remember this. I remember going up these steps to this big row house. My parents had a, a Irish, old Irish row house is what they call them. And walking up the steps and my mother opening the door and saying, because get ready for this, President Zach. My nickname is Peaches. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to forget that one, Peaches. <laughs> and so I grew up with foster parents. They didn't treat me as a, quote, foster kid. They never introduced me as, well, this is our foster child. Um, they were my parents. So that's who I grew up with, Ben uh, Joseph and Virginia Lindsay. My dad was a musician. Um, and my mother we used to um, take in a lot of kids. They used to take in just kids that needed a place. So I grew up um, understanding that I was very, very blessed. And then I, I had a relationship with my other brothers and sisters biologically. But, you know, I was blessed because I had two big families. And I stayed with the, with the, with the Lindsays. I mean, a lot of times growing up, I would hear all these horror stories about foster families. And I'm like, my foster family's pretty cool. Um, but I realized that it was a different path for kids that may have gone through the state foster care system as opposed to kids that were coming through Catholic charities. So my parents were great. They were older, too. I think when they got me, they were probably near retirement age. So I grew up with older parents. And, and I think that also was a big help for me because I, I grew up hearing stories about how they came up and how their parents came up and then their, their parents, which were, you know, descendants of slaves. So that has been, that has been part of, of what drives me in the work that I do. You know, it's, it sounds like a, a very special environment when you were growing up. However, did you ever imagine you were going to be a media personality? Yes. And I'll tell you why I didn't know I would be working for NPR, but when I was a, probably around, six or seven because my dad was a huge Cardinals baseball fan which I was too and he loved to listen to the games on the radio which is what you did back then and even though we had a very nice tv he would have the radio on and turn the sound down on the tv or he'd have the game on sitting on the front porch listening to the ball game because that was just that's how he grew up my father did the same thing so he would walk in he'd sit in the kitchen next to the radio so and and there was an announcer named Jack Buck um, famed sports announcer, sportscaster, and I grew up wanting to be on the radio. I used to, you know, when the radios had the old antennas that you would raise up, I'd pretend like I was talking into the mic. You know, I'd pretend when, when the Super Bowl would come on, I'd write stats for all the teams, Uncle Crayons. I'd draw the helmets. You know, I'd write down the names of the players who I thought were going to have big games. And I would tell my dad, Dad, I want to be on the radio one day. And he's like, you know, you can do anything you want. And I want to be a sportscaster. That's what I wanted to do because I love sports. And um, but now you look, I'm six or seven. I also want to be on the Muppet Show. So you know, <laughs> but, you, but you had a sports talk show. Yes. Um. I'm, I I suspect you're still waiting to be with the Muppets. Uh. Yeah. I'm still waiting for Kermit and you know Miss Piggy to give me that call. But I've well, maybe always... after, maybe after this podcast. <laughs> Who knows? So... Um. You know, I knew I enjoyed listening to stories and listening to, to people tell their stories. And I was a big fan of news. Uh, I used to love to watch the news. I 
love watching 60 Minutes. I love watching these people tell stories. Um, but I did notice I always see a lot of people that look like me. And when I did see anchors that were people of color, it gave me a little bit of hope. And again, you know, for me, I was going to be on the NFL today with Brent Musburger and Phyllis George and Irv Cross. You know, so. Well, I love what you're doing today. Um, and you mentioned a little bit about, you know, people not looking like you. Was there things that stood in your way? Um, and how did you deal with that? Or did you let them stand in your way? You know, the great thing is having a mother and father and, and family who encourages you to, to seek out your dreams. I loved writing um, and I loved, although at the time I didn't probably realize it, that I was challenging some type of uh, standard. I remember, and I went to an all-girl Catholic high school in St. Louis. And I remember writing, I wrote an essay paper or something. I don't remember what it was about, but the nun wrote on there that I would never be a good writer. And I remember, I, and I, I went home and I told my mom, and I don't know what my mother said. I think she called Sister Dennis. Her name was Sister Mary Dennis. May she rest in peace. Because we had a great relationship after that. And I realized that that was Sister Dennis's way of trying to get me to, to improve, but that was not the way to do it by writing something so negative. So about a couple of days later, when I went to English class, I was a freshman, and Sister Dennis said, you know, my name is Rosetta. She said, uh, I owe you I owe you an apology, and I'm sorry, and, and we're going to work on this. And, you know, so that was for me, I realized that I, I couldn't let just what people say, you know, deter me. And, and, you know, you go through college, and you're the only female in some of your sports broadcasting classes, or... You know, and I remember I had a professor named Dr. Mildred Lemon, who on the first day in her class, she walked around and shook everybody's hand. And she said, for the lady, she said, when you shake a man's hand, I want you to try to break it. <laughs> she said, I want you to squeeze it hard. She said, let them know that you are not weak. And I so, yeah, Dr. Mildred Lemon. And so fast forward, I'm doing an internship as CBS affiliate in Indianapolis. And the, the sportscaster wanted me to get his lawn, get his uh, dry cleaning. And so I called Dr. Lemon because she was my advisor, my internship advisor. And, and again, I don't know what she said, but she called the station. And then uh, a few days later, uh, the gentleman said in a meeting, we'll have to give Rose some assignments because she doesn't do uh, you know, dry cleaning. And well, so... <laughs> that's important. It's exactly right. Yeah. You don't do dry cleaning. Right. Um, well, it's interesting. Um, what what gave you strength along the way? I mean, clearly you have these. The, the good news is you had some people you could talk to, some mentors. Um, what gave you strength? I think just the words of my, my foster mom, my mom, their daughters who were much older than me, they were educators too, um, always instilling in me that I can make something out, my, out, out of myself. I think... I used to wonder, particularly with my, my mom, my foster mom, and my biological mother, you know, what did they want to achieve that they didn't? And times are different, you know. Um, my my foster mom never really, she never really told me about things that she didn't get to do. I kind of sensed there were some things she didn't get to do. She was a strong woman, didn't take anything off anybody, not my dad. Uh, but I, I imagine that in that time, you know, the deal was, 
you find a good, you find a good mate. You know, the struggles for black people were, were astronomical anyway. So, you know, basic survival, you know, particularly after the Civil War. I mean, for black folks, yeah, we want to achieve all these great things, but basic survival, you know. So I think with them growing up in that, that era too, and they encourage their kids to, you always encourage your kids to be better, right? To have a better life than you have because you have maybe greater opportunities. And um, I think also too that I was not put on this planet to just not do anything. That, that I mean, that's been apparent to me. And so I knew I had to do something. And I thought I'd be a sportscaster for the rest of my life, but then, you know, things change. And I started working for an NPR station in 1999, you know, and I had done sports and I was still doing sports. But there was something about being able to tell stories of people who look like me and maybe people who don't look like me, but who normally don't have an opportunity for their story to be told. But more importantly, uh, President Zach is also to make sure that when we're telling these stories or recovering these stories, that we are doing it with accuracy and with respect. I know some jurors like, I, I just got to get the story. Well, yeah, but I, I'm going to, res I respect my subject matters. I do. That's the only way I know how. I think people will be a, a lot more open. Um, I'm not an attacking journalist, I don't think. Uh, I'm not Geraldo. I'm not Mike Wallace, and they were great. You know, my, I just love watching Mike Wallace. I remember watching Mike Wallace interview the Shah of Iran or something like that. He's like, forgive me, but are you a maniac? And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, um, my parents always taught me to respect a life they've grown. Well, I have to say that shows. And I have to say, um, you may know, I often refer to you as not only the voice on the radio, but the voice in the back of our head. Um, you're part of our moral compass. But that, must, that sometimes must be difficult. Um, you tackle difficult issues. You bring them to the forefront. I suspect at times that gets exhausting. Um, does it? Absolutely. I have gotten better at it. I mean, when I was younger, I, I would be mad. and uh, But, you know, um, as you get older, and you realize too that um, how you respond not only says a lot about you know what you really want to accomplish, which is to present something to the listener or to the reader, what have you. So my approach is not about me. Now, when I know I'm interviewing someone and I know they're not telling the truth, or I know they're trying to be evasive, you know, I have to be able to quickly pivot and you know either try to get them to to expound more or whatever, but um, for me, yeah, I have their moments of frustration and exhaustion last year, 2020, um, because it was personal for me too. It was personal because I'm seeing people who look like me being killed by the police. Um, notice I said killed, you know, not the M word. I'm exhausted because I'm seeing people who look like me dying at a higher rate of this virus. And I'm exhausted because I've lost a brother and a sister you know, last year, and then my great uncle died a few months later, and then going into 2021, my cat died. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. That's so much to carry. Yeah, and so I'm human, you know, and and, and I have some great sheroes and sister sister girlfriends in my circle, and and they helped me get through it. And there were times where I just had to 
have my moments and I, and I break down like everybody else. If you think that journalists aren't allowed to break down and have moments, then I mean, come on. Well, it sounds like you've been surrounded um, by just supportive people. Uh, and um, as you think about that, sort of what, what motivates you? What motivates you to go, go on, um, you know, after those periods? So some years ago, um, when I was covering the Atlanta Public Schools cheating scandal, and I had an opportunity to talk to parents in certain communities, certain neighborhoods who would say, you know, Miss Rose, I, I wanted to talk to the district about my child's test scores. I knew there was an issue. I didn't know how to. I didn't feel like I could hang the right words, as one woman put it to me. As another parent said, I only went to my sophomore year in high school. And how am I going to talk to a superintendent who's got all these degrees and this, that, and the third? And it's those voices that stay with me. It's it's talking to a young girl who's been a victim of sex trafficking or a gentleman who's, who's been living on the street. He has, he has some issues, but he's doing the best that he knows how, but to other people, you know, he's this, this deadbeat, you know. Um, everybody has a story, you know. And, and, it's, and some people's stories are a little bit rougher than others, but I realize that I, I do have a, a, I think it's a duty to to Atlantans, to the region, uh, because they don't always get their stories and always told. I mean, you can read about it and you can read interviews, but I like going out in the community. I like sitting on the porch, sitting in their living room. We're now in a pandemic, so we haven't done it in a while, but I, I need to be in the community. I don't just want to sit behind the mic and ask questions. Well, we're grateful to you for doing that and then bringing that to the rest of us in the process. So we thank you for that. Um, as you've you know gone through this experience, are there things and just in, in growing and changing career paths, um, is there something that surprised you about yourself? Um, I think that I have I've learned to stop and pause and breathe before always responding. I didn't always do that. I think when I was in my 20s and 30s, um, I had a quick answer and it may not have been the most appropriate answer, um, but maybe that just comes with age. I don't know. Um, I don't know, but some of these millennials and Generation Z people, they're pretty cool. So it's like, I wish I was like you because I would, you say something I didn't like, what? You know, I would get you. But um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised at it, but I'm glad that I have at least reached this point in my life. I'm not in my 20s or 30s anymore. And so I want to, I don't know how much time I have. So it's important that how I respond and react to things you know, could depend on how much longer I have on this earth. So. Well, you mentioned, you know, the Generation X and Generation Z, and I find them so impressive, um, as do you. Um, when you were graduating from college and you think back to that time, is there something you wish you knew at that time that you know now? I wish someone would have told me about the importance of, of or really, you know, drove home the issue, the importance of, of saving, <laughs> you know, saving money for your retirement, saving money for when you were in your 50s and getting, you know, um, you know, when I graduated, there were three places everybody wanted to work that were in, in the media, CNN, 
ESPN or BET. You know, uh, when I there were no cell phones, there was no Netflix, there was none of that. So you know, everyone wanted to graduate. You know, want to go there. And so, for me, when I moved to Atlanta some years later, because I had you know done some freelance stuff in Indianapolis, and it's just like I wasn't hitting on anything. You know, and so I moved to Atlanta. I had some friends down here. I think I had $68 in my pocket. My dad asked me if I wanted some money. I was like, no, I'm good. You know, pride, I think, is, is an issue. You asked me about, you know, I wish I would have not let my pride get to me so much. I mean, I'm, I'm better now because if I need something, I'm going to ask for it. But, um, you know, um, so I moved here. You know, I was staying with friends and I started. The Olympics were coming. I sold T-shirts and other Olympic stuff in the bottom of the basement of the Candler building in downtown Atlanta. And, um, you know, but I was in the mix, right? It's like the Olympics are here. And I did finally got to cover some sports. I covered women's judo and track and field, you know, but. Um, but you did it. But, I but did you it. did it. Yeah. But, and it know, was a way in. Yeah. And I got to meet people. And, mm-hmm. you know, my dad was like, now, what are you doing? I'm like, um selling t-shirts and, a, and what company you work for? And I don't even know, President Zach, I gotta be honest with you. I don't know if these folks had a, a legal Olympic <laughs> license to be selling this stuff, but. But you were in the mix. I was in the mix and I got paid and that's, <laughs> you know, so did that. And then you meet people, you know, you meet other journalists and I will tell you that uh, people like, I remember walking up to Monica, man, she was Monica Kaufman. Um, at Atlanta Glory game, which was a women's basketball game, just saying, hey, I've moved here. I want to do this, that, and the third. And she was really, really open and, and gave me some advice. Uh, Crystal Emerson was with the Atlanta Business Chronicles, was really awesome. Donna Laurie. And then when I started working at WCLK as a part-time producer, I didn't know how to produce. I think the guy, my executive, just gave me a shot because at least I was a writer and I was in media. And then Carmen Burns, who was an anchor here, um, was the host and really took me under her wing and, and, and mentored me. We're friends to this day. So, you know, it's things like that that matter. And even Robin Roberts, I wrote her an email saying, help me. And she wrote me a very nice email back. And I still have that. And I kept it taped to the mirror in my bathroom for like a year. Well, you've been so good to so many other people um, as well. And providing that support, um, you know, so many people are grateful to you. As we look to the future, um, what excites you? I'm excited as it relates to my field. I'll tell you, I'm excited about just this generation with technology. They're just so brilliant. You know, they I mean, they can take their phones and my producer, Grace, she can take a little video of something and she edits on her phone. And I'm like, okay, with me, it takes a little bit longer. Um, they are so creative and innovative. So I'm excited about the future of, of news media and incredible news media. I'm excited about Then I'm also concerned that, you know, we don't lose sight of what we are here to do as journalists. You know? Like, I don't want robots giving the news in the future. No, absolutely not. Um, we need people like you. And we need young people inspired to be people like you um, as well. 
Well, Rose, thanks so much for your time today. Is there any last words of encouragement or inspiration that you'd like to give to our listeners? So I'm going to pass on uh, something that Robin Roberts passed on to me. And now she it was specific to Atlanta, but you know she said, Rose, Atlanta is a it's a great place. There are a lot of people there who can help you, but the key is to surround yourself with people who are willing to help you, and that's a big difference. And I think that um, for me, that's kind of the approach I have to people email me, and and, I, and and students will email me, and then I I say, you know what, I'm going to take time. I take time with every student that reaches out to me. It's important. So, well, yeah. And college presidents, I'll add to that. College presidents, yes. <laughs> and to our listeners, I hope you were encouraged and inspired. Um, Rose's journey is one of many that we can't wait to share with you. Thank you for joining us. I also want to thank our producer, Sydney Perry, for making this podcast possible. And I'm Leokidia Zak, and this is Journeys to Leadership. Looking for more content? Check out Leading Everywhere the Agnes Scott College podcast, a show that shares the stories of the campus community students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.